This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Faced a greater challenge than Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, the day that he was inaugurated into office, already seven states, seven states had left the Union. In his mind, war was inevitable because he wanted to preserve the Union. But not everybody felt that way. A lot of people in the, in the North wanted to let the southern states just leave. In fact, the, the, three, the three rivals that he had for the presidency, uh, they were inclined to just let those states leave. And so naturally, you would think what Lincoln would do, would, he would gather around people who have the same opinion as him. I mean, that seems natural. That seems like the logical thing to do. But he did something that's counterintuitive. Those three men who were his greatest rivals to become president, he gave them three of the most important positions in his cabinet. He had the self-confidence, the belief in his ideals that he was able to bring competing worldviews to his, his closest his closest table of advisors. And what he would do is he would hear the various opinions on different matters, and then he would gather that information and he would make that individual decision. He would make his own decision. See, at different times, a nation, a country, a family needs different things. We talked earlier about Patrick Henry and conviction, how he brought words that kind of evoked a rebellion and George Washington and his leadership, his, he did lead a rebellion. And, and those at times, those may be appropriate. But sometimes you need a unifier. Sometimes you need someone who's humble enough to, to bring parties who are, who are at battle or at war and bring them together. And I think we need more of that in our society. That's why Abraham Lincoln is someone that I've admired, admired him so much. I named my youngest son after him. I, I've seen his leadership and, and studied his leadership. I've read a lot of books about him. And there's a lot of different angles we could take today. But the one word that really comes to the forefront when we reflect on Lincoln's life, and now we'll go to Scripture here in just a couple of moments, is the word unity. The word unity is so important. The word unity is so important to you, so important to your marriage, to the family structure, the word unity is so important to this church. And yet we often overlook our undervalue its importance. We know this is that the enemy, he, he's seeking to steal and kill and destroy your life. The enemy wants to destroy your life. And if we were to list different sins that he's trying to entice you with, we would probably come up with these big moral issues. These big moral statements. You could come up with a list very easily. But it's very likely we would overlook the sin of disunity. It's, it's a sin that sometimes is cloaked in religious language. It's a sin that's often hidden but behind uh, words that we, that we use to disguise what's happening. But it's a major strategy. You're going to see from the scripture today. It's a major strategy of the enemy to destroy your life. He wants to bring disunity to your marriage. He wants to bring disunity to your relationships. He wants to bring disunity to your 242 group. He wants to bring disunity to wherever you work. He wants to bring disunity to this church. And so today is a preventative message. For those of you who are visiting with us, or you don't come here 
often, uh, you, you may be thinking, what's going on here? The pastor is preaching on unity. Is there a problem that we, are, uh, we don't know about that we're walking into? Well, I'm glad to say, I'm glad to tell you that right now, all the indicators regarding unity are very high at our church. Uh, we have a staff. You saw Pastor David give announcements. Uh, he's been working with me for almost six years. Penny Sims, our other full-time staff member, she was playing keyboards today, has worked at this church for many years. Deanna Powell, our, Greg Wilson, our new staff members, I've been friends with him for 17 years. Back to Deanna, she is an awesome leader. Uh, and all of us are very close friends. And so our staff is strong right now. Unity strong. Our leadership board, I'm telling you, it's a wonderful leadership board. You can get the list of the names. It's on our website of who serves on our leadership board. And we're having some of the best conversations we've ever had because these are a group of men and women who are hungry for this church to be everything God wants it to be. All the indicators are good and all the indicators are high. This is a preventative message because I know this. The enemy loves disunity and God loves unity. So he wants to sow disunity and God wants to promote unity. And there is a power. There is an anointing that happens when a group of people are in unity. There is a power when a marriage is in unity. There is a power when a family is in unity or a group of friends. Something incredible happens. It supersedes talent. It supersedes ability. It's better than flash. It's better than skill when a group of people go in the same direction, especially under the leadership of our God. Incredible things can happen. That's why this message is so important. It's so crucial. In a few minutes, we'll get to Ephesians chapter 4. I don't want you to get nervous and think, wow, this guy's not preaching the Bible. I'm going to give you a lot of Bible today. But I want to tell you about an experience I had. I, my first job was at a church that I served during college in another state. And I had the opportunity every third Sunday night, I, I was able to preach to the adults. And that was a special time for me. I learned how to preach to adults and in the days when churches had, more churches had Sunday night services, those were more services for the believers and people who were very prone to go pray or go to the altar after service. And the, the Lord gave us a lot of success. Those Sunday nights I would preach and we would have prayer times and seek the Lord together. And this was before I met Beth. I came here to Nashville and met my wife, Beth. And uh, we were dating, we got engaged, we're planning to get married. And I told her about this wonderful church I used to work at and these wonderful experiences that I had. So naturally, I wanted her to have that same experience. So we flew to this other state and they scheduled me to preach. And that night, the attendance was strong and I saw the same faces and I was anticipating the same experience. I gave a sermon that, that I felt like was just as effective as the previous sermons. But when it came time to respond to the sermon and to pray, it was like a wall. A wall came down between me and the people. And the same people who had been quick to respond now were very reluctant and didn't respond. So as I was trying to, Lord, what's going on? And, and I had enough relationship with the people to, to do some exercises. Uh, and I, I, so I did this. I asked the senior pastor to come to the front. He stood here at the front. And there were two associate pastors that were full-time. Again, I was friends with all of them. I said, why don't you guys come down also? These two associate pastors came, and I said, I want you to link arms with your pastor. 
And when they when that happened, there was it was very cold. It was just a very cold experience. I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, this just doesn't feel right. Later on, Beth, you know, she agreed. She was expecting a better experience. And the experience, experience was just odd, just unusual. It, it by no way matched up with the description. A couple of months later, I was at a convention. This was a little bit before the internet revolution for before all the instant communication happened through texting and so forth so i saw my pastor he was manning a booth it was unusual i said what happened he said well i'm manning this booth because i don't have a job anymore said the two associate pastors conspired with the leadership board and and overthrew my ministry i lost my job man with five kids broke my heart then I was able to go back to that experience I had in prayer and, and realize that, that sometimes, even when you can't put your finger on it, you can feel this unity. I mean, you can just sense it. You can sense it in families and marriages. You can go to a place of business, and, and when everybody's not on the same page, boy, it's just something you can almost feel in the atmosphere. And, and you can certainly feel it in a church. There, there's something powerful when we get in unity. God, God's spirit dwells and just feels more at home when we're in unity. Because it's his desire. It's his heart. It's what God wants. My mom and my sister, they love for our family, extended family, to get together. So they've created this atmosphere where we have these small, short, but frequent trips where we see one another. They live in Texas. And so one of the grandkids will fly there and one will fly back. And it's really important for cousins to have relationships. And so they provide a lot of the expense and a lot of the scheduling. They get our schedule and they create a schedule because it's really important for them that, that we stay connected as a family. And now that I'm a parent, I'm starting to understand that more. Because I've got a 10-year-old, I've got an 8-year-old, I have a 12-year-old, and they're just like your kids. I mean, these kids can fight. I mean, they, they are wonderful and perfect in a lot of ways, but man, the types of cut-downs they, they have for one another and the, the victimization that happens, it's just astonishing. But there are those moments, like a holy moment, you know, when, when the universe stands still and background music comes in and I see my kids loving one another. And, and I try not to notice because then it, it will embarrass them and they'll stop. But it, it, it's as a father, I see that. And now I understand God's heart. Because God desires for his children to get along. It's, it's his heart for us. So if it's God's desire, it should be my desire. Write that down. We talk about unity right now. This is what I want you to observe. Is it's unity. It starts with my desire. My desire. If it's God's desire, it should be my desire. We don't understand. We minimize the importance of this subject. In our mind, we want something different. We want something, perhaps, in our own interpretation, deeper or more exciting. But you don't understand what can happen when you start desiring unity. And you say, I'm a man or woman of unity. In the environments that I live in, the place where I work, my family, my cluster of friends, my church, 
I want unity. I desire unity. That's why the power of Ephesians chapter 4, let's start with verse 1, and we'll see here the scripture says. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1, Paul's writing, and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I I italicized this and I underlined it because that phrase jumped out to me. I wanted to jump out to you. Eager to maintain the unity. That's what God wants you to be. He wants you to be a person who desires unity, who wants unity. The truth is, most of us don't desire that. Our, our, our natural self doesn't desire unity. What we desire is for our opinions to be known. We desire for our preference to be followed. There's something within us that, that cares more about our selfish desires than we do of the unity of whatever atmosphere that we're in. You know, the spirit, the scripture wants you to push back on that today. It wants you to be a person who eagerly desires the unity of the spirit. A person who brings peace. A person who brings the presence of God. A person that is involved in a group. And whatever group you're involved in, the atmosphere of unity just increases because of your participation. See, a lot of us have matured, or I don't know if I want to use the word mature, we've developed in a dysfunctional atmosphere that's not used to unity. Now, when I use the word dysfunctional, we often attach that to the family, and the truth is every single family that's ever existed has some form of dysfunction, so none of us are immune to that. But there's several environments. When you were mentored professionally, the model you had for marriage... Maybe even the church that you were discipled under. If it was always had this atmosphere of conflict and strife, there there can become a part of us that becomes addicted to that. And we we don't really know how to function unless there's a problem. We we don't really feel comfortable unless there's an issue. And and we when when peace comes to the situation, it just feels odd. It feels unnatural. Well, Peace maybe is unnatural, but it's supernatural. Peace is from the Lord. Jesus said, my peace I leave you. My peace I give you. And we have to. We have to accept the fact that, that as followers of Jesus, we should carry his peace wherever we go. We're not people addicted to strife. We're not addicted to conflict. We're not always seeking out seeking out an issue because what happens is if you get addicted to conflict, either knowingly but more likely unknowingly, you're going to seek out conflict because that's what you're used to. I'm going to tell you, we need to seek peace. We need to seek agreement. We need to seek unity. Put verse 3 back up there of, of Ephesians 4, 3. Look at this scripture again. Eager to maintain the unity. Eager to, I want this to get in your heart today. I want this for, I want you to be eager. Everywhere you go, you're going to bring God's peace. Everywhere you, you go, you're going to elevate the presence of the Lord there. Everywhere you go, conflict is going to be reduced. You know, and, and that is tough to do. That's why we need Jesus. But if we don't desire it, if unity's not my desire, it'll never become a reality. When I was in my late teens, 
I begin to discover uh, in my personal application so, some gifts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they could be defined as, we could define them as charismatic gifts. Uh, these are things that we've taught about uh, very extendedly on Wednesday nights recently. But the different gifts of the Spirit that bring God's power and bring His anointing. And, and I begin to operate in some of these in my life and in my ministry. And what I believe happened that in my immaturity, I began to develop some spiritual pride. And I'd never said this out loud, but I certainly, I said it in a roundabout way or in the attitude of my heart. I began to look at some Christians as inferior to me because they didn't do certain things that I did. And I began to look at other churches as maybe Weak churches or powerless churches or, 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 or churches that weren't reaching their potential. And, and it developed a pride in me. And my church was a good church. As far as it was the biggest church in town, it was, it was, it was flashy, it was professional, it was excellent. So one Christmas Eve, we had some out-of-town friends come to our Christmas Eve service. And then we spent time with them afterwards. And I was just waiting to talk about the church world because I just felt like they had to have had the greatest experience a church they ever had because we had a good church and we were powerful and we were flashy and we were experiential. And so as I, as I kind of eased my way into the church subject, I began to say demeaning things about other churches. And there was a middle-aged man with us who uh, had a kind spirit, uh, but he certainly was not a professional Christian. He was in the restaurant industry, and he was just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful man. And he said something. He said, well, isn't church, shouldn't church be about how much people love one another? And in my wise 17-year-old heart, I went <laughs> to myself, like, yeah, right. What a weak answer. I mean, it's about power and it's about experience and it's about gifting and, and this whole attitude of, of loving one another. Yeah, that's, that's secondary. Well, I, I know you know that's not true because love is above all things. As I've aged and hopefully become more mature, I realize that that man who was by no means a professional Christian had the right answer. It really is how much we love each other is really, really why we exist and why we are gathered here together. You see, if you want unity, it's not just my desire. Unity is a sign of my maturity. In reflection, I thought I was so mature because I had been exposed to some gifting and some experience. But my, my heart had pride in it. And I didn't realize that the amount of unity, the amount of unity within a church context, the amount of unity within a marriage, the amount of unity with a family, the amount of unity within a cluster of friends is a huge indicator, not the only indicator, but a huge indicator of the maturity of a person. That's one of the things I want you to leave with this message today, that one of the indicators of your maturity spiritually is how much unity is in your life and how much unity is around you. Listen, if everywhere you go, if every job you take, if every group you join, 
if every church you go to, if it becomes a relational wreck because of you, you are a spiritually immature person. I don't care how early you get up for your devotional time, how much you pray, if you cannot apply this principle to your life, you're still immature. The amount of unity you bring to your environments is directly proportionate to your maturity. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11, you're going to see this very clear. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11, uh, talking about the local church, talking about us who have gathered. It says, and he, being Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or most of your translations will say pastors there, the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints... For the work of the ministry, let's just stay here for a second, for building up the body of Christ. So the job of a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is to build up the church, to build it up for ministry. Now, let's go to the next slide, the verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is an indicator of health. This is an indicator of maturity. This is an indicator of how much we're becoming more like Christ. How much maturity do we have? How much unity do we have? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. This goes down in verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead into Christ. This scripture is calling maturity out in you. And it's calling out unity as an indicator of that maturity. How much unity do we have? How, how are, what's our relational quotient? What's our relational issues in our life? Because the more we're like Jesus, the more peace we're going to bring. The, the more harmony we're going to bring. The more we're like Jesus, the, the more we're going to understand that, that the unity of our environment is so much more important than our opinion. The unity of our environment is so much more important than us protecting ourselves. So many of our actions are us just protecting ourselves. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't, we don't want to be one-upped. And so that becomes more important than the unity of wherever we're at. Listen, I'm praying. I'm praying for the marriages in this church because I know Satan wants to bring disunity to marriages. And it happens. Listen, Beth and I, we're not immune from this stuff either just because we lead a church. It's hard work because you have two separate people with very different personalities, different genders, different backgrounds. And then now we're living every moment together. It's not a matter of if conflict will happen. It's when conflict will happen. But you can work it out. And when you realize, I desire unity, it starts with your desire. I desire for this marriage to be in unity. And I'm going to judge my maturity based off this. In the workplace, some of you, it's so easy for you to fall into the pit of criticism and complaining. In the break room. And the emails that go around to to everyone complaining about the boss, complaining about the directives. It's okay for you to have an opinion, but take that opinion to the Lord. Take that opinion to the Lord. Make it a matter of prayer. 
Because if you are a person who can bring unity and bring peace to your organization and bring peace to your team and bring unity there and lift the values, God will promote you. God will distinguish you. When a man or woman can be different than everybody else and can be above all the negativity and above the criticism and by the leadership of the Spirit, uh, you're not just a yes man. You are working for the glory of God. You are glorifying God with your attitude. Even if you feel like you have been uh, misjudged or mistreated, you take it to the Lord. Don't take it to your coworkers. Don't take it to your coworkers. If you do, take it to prayer with them. Lead them in a prayer meeting or something of that nature. You can do that. It's a sign of your maturity. You know, often though, often in unity, the reason we don't have unity in our various relationships is we just quit. We just quit trying. Think about the game Monopoly. I think almost every one of us have played Monopoly. And I'm not talking about the computer type of Monopoly. That, that doesn't count. I'm talking about the, the cardboard with the little red and green pieces and all of that. No one ever finishes the game of Monopoly. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever finished a game. Because you, you play and you see the trends and you recognize I don't have boardwalk. And I don't have any hotels. I don't have any house. I'm going to lose. So when does the game end? When the first person quits. First person pulls out. Second person pulls out. And eventually, eventually the game ends very quickly once the first person quits. And that's what we often do relationally. We quit so easily. We think it's going to be easier to go find a new game. I know there's a breakdown in every analogy, but we, we, we often think that finding relationships somewhere else is going to be easier. Can I tell you, relationships are hard to start. It's so much better to nurture the relationships you have than to buy into the lie that there's some other relationship better out there. I'm just going to leave mine and I'm walking away. I'm giving up the game. No. See, unity starts with your desire. Unity then is a sign of your maturity. But all the prayer, hearing messages like this, all of the different data that we get that helps promote unity, it all comes down to my choice. That's the last observation I want to make. Unity is my choice. It's what I decide. And this week, this week, I want you to quit blaming other people for the lack of unity in your life. And I want you to look in the mirror. You know, the Bible is a mirror. The book of James says that, that the word is like a mirror, that we look into it and we see flaws in our life. By his power, he, God helps us change. And there's an incredible mirror I want us to look at right now. And that's starting in verse 22, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. This scripture, these 10 verses we're going to read are so powerful. It says, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. I want you to notice as I read the scripture with you how active this all is. This is all about us making the choice. It's about us answering the prayers that we pray. Now, going back to the scripture, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all 
part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. That scripture is beautiful today. It's our mirror. You know, sometimes we don't need a bunch of commentary on Scripture. We just need the Scripture. And that speaks to us today. And it speaks to our disunity and our participation in the disunity in our life. And I want you to think about how that applies to your life. How does that apply to your workplace? How does that apply to your friend, friends and your friendship clusters? How does that apply to your marriage How does that apply to your 242 group? How does that apply to this church? I want to say this. It's that God's desire all the way from John 17 when Jesus gave his his prayer to the Lord. He desires that the church be one. So I'm so excited about the opportunity I have to serve the Hendersonville Community Pastors Association. And I'm the vice president. Very soon I'll be the president in the coming months. And I'm believing that God's going to use this church and the churches that already participate and humbly by his help to bring more unity to the body of Christ in this city because that's God's heart. And he wants it to be our heart too. He wants it to be our heart too. It's a shame how many churches split. And I just want this to be dropped into your spirit today. There was a, a man, a very close friend of mine who is quite a bit older than me. He was telling me about his church experiences. He, he had several different ones. And there was one particular situation he told me about a church that he was part of that had once been thriving and once growing. But the church split. And now to this day, that church This has never been, this has been 30 years ago. That church isn't what it, I know the church, it's not near what it once was. And the splits aren't here, aren't anything significant either. And this man, I can see his eyes right now as he told me this. He said, I have made a covenant between my wife and I that we will never be part of a church split again. A covenant that he made. I tell you that because to me, that's a sign of maturity. That's a sign of wisdom. And God wants you to have that same, that same heart and that same spirit today, the same spirit of unity. I'm going to ask that our ushers would begin to prepare to give out communion. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.